Welcome to the AEM Education and Training Podcast from the Society of Academic Emergency Medicine and the AEM Education and Training Journal. I'm your host, Dr. Kita Pensa, and this is what we've got for you today. Artificial intelligence has the potential to disrupt so many different parts of our lives, including our work, of course, and some of those ways are obvious, and some are, to me at least, a little less so. And today we're talking about a new paper in AEM Education and Training that I think is probably not something that has occurred to many of us yet. What about using ChatGPT to write letters of recommendation? Now, whatever your initial gut reaction is to that, you will find this paper entitled Brain versus Bot, Distinguishing Letters of Recommendation Authored by Humans Compared with Artificial Intelligence to be very interesting. We have two of its authors today here to discuss it with us, Dr. Adira Landry and Dr. Carl Prickshitis. Dr. Prickshitis, MD, is a medical education fellow and clinical instructor in the Department of Emergency Medicine at Stanford University. He is a medical education researcher with interests in artificial intelligence, innovation, and reproductive health care. And Dr. Adira Landry, MD, MED, is an assistant professor of emergency medicine at the Harvard Medical School and Brigham and Women's Hospital. Her academic interest focuses on mentorship of early career professionals. And Dr. Landry speaks nationally on mentor-mentee relationships and strategies for career development. She is a healthcare contributor for Forbes. She is published in academic outlets such as Nature, Science, New England Journal of Medicine, and for the general public audience in Vogue, Teen Vogue, Harvard Business Review, and Fast Company. And she's currently co-authoring a book for early career professionals to navigate the workplace called Microskills, Small Actions, Big Impact with HarperCollins. We are so excited to have both of them here with us today to discuss this cutting-edge paper, Don't forget to read the full text of this article available open access from the publisher for a limited time. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Hi, Dr. Prickshitis. Hi, Gita. Nice to be here. And hi, Dr. Landry. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Very excited to talk about this paper, which I thought was actually a lot of fun and made me think a whole lot. Um, And so uh, let's start by saying that AI and the use of chat GPT, I don't even know what version we're on anymore, but it's definitely a hot topic in all types of academia these days. But I'm really more used to the hand-wringing over learners using it than thinking about how faculty can leverage it. So I am very curious what led to this study. Was there there like a personal story about using ChatGPT for a letter of recommendation or is someone a ChatGPT enthusiast or, I mean, are people already using ChatGPT for letters? Because it never occurred to me. Well, um, so this study started because um, Carl and I are both on ALIEM, which stands for Academic Life in Emergency Medicine. And it's this medical education community that also has a really high yield um, website full of educational content. So it's both the website and this Slack community. And there are about 60 or so people who are just always collaborating together in this like wonderfully positive environment. And so I had quickly mentioned that I was writing so many letters of rec and I thought it would be fun to kind of get chat GPT to do it for me. And then I think I just randomly, it was like a really quick question. I just asked if it had been somehow researched. And in like the truest alien spirit, people just started riffing off of that very small nonchalant idea. And the team just jumped in and developed them into a much larger, well-developed paper. 
I mean, and it was, I think, within like a few days um, where we went from this like quick idea to like starting a document to having the IRB ready to already thinking about methods. And I mean, it's just so fast. And that's part of the alien culture. Um, in regards to, you know, a chat GPT enthusiast, Carl loves GPT and, and all the other acronyms, and you'll hear about his love. It'll be very obvious uh, on this call <laughs> once you hear him speaking about it. But I will say we'll have people like myself included who are, you know, we're interested and we're curious. We're chat GPT curious. And um, we've actually just recently created um, on Alien this AI playground where we all come in and just share references. And now we have this monthly meeting. Um, so it's just this new thing. And I think we want to be ahead of the curve um, as far as using it in medical education. How exciting. All right. Well, I mean, most listeners know what ChatGPT is, uh, but there, there, I'm sure, will be a fair number who have not had the opportunity to uh, use it in a playground. Um, they, they haven't played with it. They haven't utilized it. I find that there is actually a bit of an art to getting ChatGPT to give you what you're looking for. So for, for those who aren't familiar with ChatGPT, can you give us like a, a more formal definition of it and describe how someone gets it to write something for you? Yeah, absolutely. I can do that. And um, I I do just want to echo what Adira said about Alium. I think, you know, they were one of the first groups that started doing FOMED and constantly looking for what's the next thing in medical education? How can we teach people better? And I think AI is sort of the thing everybody's talking about. So we're just looking for ways that we can operationalize it. And, you know, we we often get these fun projects that we do together. Uh, so ChatGPT, um, it's, a, it's a consumer-facing chatbot. Uh, it was released by a company uh, called OpenAI and came out in November 2022. Um, it works based on this AI technology called a large language model. And what that is, is it's it's a model within a larger discipline in AI called natural language processing. And what the model does is you give it an input and it generates some sort of text. And ChatGPT is uh, built on uh, the generative pre-trained transformer model. That's what the GPT stands for. And the ChatGPT was really optimized to produce conversational text responses, and it's based on a lot of training data that it has. So the model was trained on every available document, chat, whatever's on the internet. Um, and fundamentally, what the model tries to do is predict the next word. So you give it a sequence of text, it tries to guess what's going to come next, um, and it sort of iterates on that process and gets training, gets feedback from users to try to optimize and improve its responses. And I think in November 2022, we just hit sort of an inflection point where it became useful and was actually giving pretty good responses that people could operationalize in their work. And that's that's where it sort of took off. And you know, the point that I think to getting good responses is understanding that this all it works on probability. So it's just trying to guess the next thing that would come in a sentence. So when you're trying to pick a prompt, um, there's it, it doesn't necessarily give you the best response to the first thing you ask it. So there's a lot of trial and error, a lot of iteration, experimentation, and you know, there's this whole burgeoning field of something called prompt engineering, which is really how you can select and craft the right things to put into a large language model that'll give you what you're looking for. So interesting. Um, so, okay. So what do we already know about how, how good AI 
and chat GPTR at fooling humans, so to speak. And I'm sure this is evolving. It's ever evolving. It sounds like uh, I will admit, I just recently took a, there was a quiz on the New York times to see whether or not you could reliably tell what faces were generated by AI um, and which were actual people. And I'm not going to say what my score was. It was less than perfect, my score. <laughs> Let's just say that. Um, so what do we know? Yeah, I think um, it's it's a good it's a good point. And, you know, um, it's like you said, it's something that's evolving and changing. And I think what we do know right now is that there's no, at least for text data, there's no reliable way of differentiating between what's from an AI and what's human generated. Um, there are lots of different software applications you can look at. There are people in academia looking for, you know, the same analogous thing to a plagiarism detector, but nothing really works super well. And there've actually been some reports of people being falsely accused of using AI for their work that was actually human derived and vice versa. So you have to be careful with sort of the idea of differentiation and it does become really hard. And I think there are, there are some negative aspects to that, like the idea of plagiarism or passing off AI content as your own, or, you know, with visual things, deep fakes, I think we're, we're all aware of the possibility of that happening. But I think on the other hand, the idea that, you know, a computer technology can get closer to producing something that we think only a human can do, I think forces us to sort of consider what are the things that humans can do that AI can't do? Like, what do we really want when we ask somebody to write a paper? What do we want the human cognition contribution? What are those aspects that we're really asking people to put into their work that a computer can't necessarily do? Well, maybe it can't be on a Slack channel with a whole bunch of mm. other people and come up with ideas for new and novel ways to use itself. I'm hoping that's still. Okay. <laughs> um, so let's bring this now to letters of recommendation. Tell us what problem chat GPT could potentially help with here. And what your foundational questions and the main goals of this study were. So um, I'm sure both of you have either written a letter of recommendation or had someone write one for you at some point in time in your career. Actually, I'm certain because you need those to get into medical school. Um, they take a long time, right? And sometimes you're asked and you might know um, the person really well, but yet you might miss some of the details. And so um, now you have to read over their CV and extract all that information, right? All of this takes time. And we wanted to know, obviously, if, if GPT, we'll go over the results later, but if GTP could be used to, let's say, reduce the time burden, that that, that effort it takes to write a letter um, by just, you know, feeding it some um, some information, but not not the entire letter, right? The, the, the software creates the entire letter. The other thing that's nice about GPT is you can iterate um, by just giving it further prompts, which we did in the paper. You know, there's a higher ceiling of how creative it can get because you can just keep challenging. And yes, maybe a human can do it as well, but do we really want to continue to try to redraft and redraft and redraft and redraft, you know, because you can give it a prompt, like use less flowery language, right? And somehow it's able to do that much faster, not somehow, I mean, it's able to do that much faster than than we are and many more times because there's other competing interests that we have and demands and fatigue and all these other things that that really will slow down that growth of the of the actual product. It's amazing. You can say, like, make this sound more formal, make this sound less flowery, make this sound more flowery. It's just, um, it is fun to play with for anyone out there who hasn't played with it. You should play with it. 
And similar to that quiz you took it in, you know, for New York Times is we really wanted to know if people could tell the difference between the papers that were authored um, by, you know, with humans or, or those with, you know, humans plus AI. I mean, we, we still had to give it prompts. So there was still some human influence on the ones that had AI, but we really wanted to tell if people can, can distinguish between those two groups. Okay. All right. So tell us about your study design and your methods. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the other thing to sort of know about letters of recommendation, I think we all know this, but there's a, a wide variety. So we sort of focused on promotion and tenure letters. And out of all letters of recommendation, those are the ones, you know, a lot of faculty have to write, you have to get letters for promotion. And a number of those letters are designed to be these sort of arms length letters where somebody doesn't actually know you personally. Because um, obviously, it'd be challenging for AI I'm sure AI could invent a personal anecdote about knowing somebody, but, um, you know, a lot of times these arms length ones, you just know somebody based on their reputation and their CV. So that's kind of the, the use case we were focused on. And what we did is we took uh, promotion packets from four people that were either just promoted from uh, assistant to associate professor in emergency medicine, or were preparing their packets for promotion we de-identified that data, sort of assembled the main points into bullet points, um, and uh, gave those bullet points to two human authors, um, Teresa Chan and Mike Gottlieb, who have a lot of experience writing letters of recommendation and everything else. Uh, and then uh, myself and one of the other authors, Chris Nash, took the bullet points, and we have no experience writing promotion and ten- tenure letters. And we, uh, we gave the information to ChatGPT and sort of iterated on the responses and gave ourselves ground rules that we had to, everything we included in the letters had to be output by the AI model. We couldn't edit or add things. If we wanted to change anything, we had to ask the model to change it and do it by prompting. Um, then once we had these letters, we, uh, we uh, recruited people uh, with some experience in reviewing letters of recommendation. Uh, and asked them whether they thought it was human authored or AI authored, uh, their confidence in that designation, and then what they thought the quality of the letter was in terms of whether it would help or hurt somebody going up for promotion. And um, you also evaluated the letters for gender biased language. Can you describe the tool that you used and uh, just give us some examples of male associated and female associated words that often turn up in letters of recommendation? Yeah, and and we did this because there's a lot of data out there that human author human authored letters um, are at risk for being biased against women, um, and so each letter was evaluated for gender bias language using this publicly available gender bias calculator. That um, the link will be in the show notes, but um, it it has been used for um, analysis of gender bias in letters of rec previously, and so this calculator's um, output is a will give you a percentage bias in the male or female direction um, as far as like what bias it is based on the number of female associated or male associated words. And this is all derived from a, um, you know, huge collection of letters of recommendation um, for um, applicants um, applying for biochemistry jobs. And so it's based from, you know, a, a pool of data and the words that we found that were typically um, present for female applications or applicants, um, these are you know often called grindstone words. So hardworking, conscientious, personable, dependable, and this, which sort of implies that women succeed through through effort and interpersonal connections more than like these really hard intrinsic abilities. 
Um, and words typical for the male applicants are, you know, more ability or standout words like excellent, superb, outstanding, sort of implying this natural talent that we have as a driver for success. It's really interesting. Very interesting. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about your results. Uh, can you first describe the population study participants who wound up completing the study? Yeah, so um, we uh, did some targeted recruitment um, looking for people that had experience reviewing letters of recommendation. We ended up having 32 people complete reviews of the letters. Um, they got eight randomly selected letters from our the total of 16 that we generated. Um, most of the participants were full professors, uh, followed by associate and assistant professors. We mostly had people from EM, but also had some people from other specialties like internal medicine and family medicine. And half of the people were sort of had some PNT experience, so knew what they were looking for. Um, and the majority of them did have a lot of letter reviewing experience. They, uh, the majority reported that they reviewed over 100 letters of recommendation during their careers. Hmm. Okay. Um, so I guess walk us through your findings. Let's, let's talk first about the, your primary outcome. Yeah. So the, the main thing we're interested in was whether they could identify who the author of the letter was and, um, participants only correctly identified the author of the letter 59.4% of the time. Hmm. Okay. And, you know, this is the fun part about working with Alien is you start thinking about all the other creative things you can measure. And so we were thinking, well, maybe if they spend more time, they're, they're going to be able to decipher because they put more energy and time into it. But actually, deliberation time did not matter. Even how certain they were in their, in their answer choice did not matter. Those with really extensive experience, meaning they have reviewed in the past over 100 letters of recommendation, they also were not more accurate. And um, something that was quite surprising because, you know, we were thinking this tool can sort of remove that human bias of gendered language. AI authored letters had more male associated words than, um, than those that were, that were human authored, which is really interesting. And um, the people who believed letters were AI authored, they actually scored them of lower quality than those they believed were human authored. Wow. <laughs> All right. So we aren't able to reliably distinguish between letters of recommendations written by humans versus AI. Um, but if we think it's written by a human, we rate it higher. Okay. Or maybe we rate it higher and therefore it must have been written by a human. But but either way, what do you feel like we can take away from these findings? It's, it's definitely time to think about being efficient. Um, with how we work. I mean, knowing that it's really hard to tell the difference makes us wonder, is there actual value in the letter of rec being authored by a human or solely authored by a human? The other thing to think about is it's really hard today to understand who is contributing to the letter of recommendation that you might be reading. Is it the applicant drafting it and sending it to their, you know, person who's going to submit it on their behalf? Is the letter of rec writer doing it by themselves and or is AI involved at all? So what what about the ethics of using ChatGPT for these letters? Um, I think you, you talk about disclosing it in the paper, but how does how does one do that without the reader of the letter now rating it lower in their minds? Yeah, I think uh, I think there's a tension there, right? Um, you know, right now we know the only reliable way to determine whether uh, a piece of text is AI or human generated in light of these tools that aren't very effective is to disclose whether you used it or not. But, 
you know, we know from some of our results here with the evidence of some bias against AI that, you know, if you disclose it, is the applicant going to be hurt by that disclosure? So, um, you know, whether you should use it or not is is an interesting question. And, you know, we sort of have these ethical debates around a newer tool, but we also think about, you know, what are the common practices for writing letters and know that a lot of people have, uh, have a collection of form letters that they populate with the new requestee's um, information or, um, or like Adira mentioned, having, having the applicant actually write their own letter and send it to, to the supervisor to just sign off on it. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think a lot of those tactics are incorporated because people don't have a lot of time. So, you know, maybe if generative AI can help with some of the, the uh, processing somebody's application, their CV, letter writers might have a little bit more time to actually put something meaningful in there and create something new. And I think the idea of disclosure goes beyond letters. You know, it's going to become increasingly challenging as AI becomes more ubiquitous to know, like, where's the area that we actually disclose? Um, how, like, how much use is too much use? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think rather than focusing on the amount of use, like, let's let's think about the product. And I think if you're an author that's going to use this for a letter of recommendation or for an academic paper, you have to take a hard look at what you what you end up producing and say, like, is this my work? Are these my ideas? Or am I passing off AI as my as my own work? And, you know, I think a lot of that responsibility is is going to have to be on the authors right now, because as editors or reviewers, it's it's just really hard to tell. There's so many interesting thoughts about this. So um, I think there's a lot of discussion that's going to come out of this. What What do you think should come next? I think it's time to pause and, and think about if we need to revamp how um, letters of rec are done. I mean, do we really need a, a full page summary? It's like just an overarching question. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if it can be done by a computer, is is it actually an honest assessment of someone, right? It doesn't have that human nuanced touch or um, that we probably were hoping it would have that, you know, that only a human could pick up on. Mm. Um, I think probably there needs to be some, like as, as Carl mentioned, more radical honesty about who is writing the letters. Um, I am fairly certain <laughs> that I have read letters of rec that have had some influence by AI just because so many people are using it to write these days. Like, mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be able to even tell you the answer. Um, and then, you know, thinking about like, what is, what are those human elements? And, and is there something that a, a human can write that no way an AI would be able to produce? And, and what would that be? I mean, off the top of my head, I can't even really think of that because AI can describe people, right? Like describe it, write a, write a paragraph about someone being compassionate. Mm-hmm. Um, personal anecdotes, though, like if you know the details of of a of a scenario that you you witnessed, you know, an AI wouldn't be able to accurately do that unless you gave them some prompts. So there might be some details that you know you had to be there or you had to hear it that mm-hmm. you can sort of feed to AI, and they, that they would still be dependent on that human touch. But it's really hard to separate the two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you both of you for coming on to talk about this paper. I had a, a lot of fun reading it. I think it's just really challenging stuff to to think about. And gosh, who knows what the future brings. So so thank you. And thank you to your Slack group. <laughs> yes, thank, thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for listening to this month's AEM Early Access. 
Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes at AEM Early Access, all one word. Don't forget to read the full text of this article, available open access from the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal for a limited time. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.